How do you tell time? How do you tell time? Perhaps you look at a clock on a wall or a watch on your wrist, or if you have a smartphone, that is your clock. And you, your life, you, you have your life, you live your life following the second hand as it ticks away through the seconds to fill a minute, to fill an hour, and so forth. Or maybe you're the kind of person that tells time by way of a physical, or again, if you have a smartphone, a virtual calendar. You measure your life in days, in weeks, in months, through appointments that you've kept and dates that are still to come. This is a topic that comes up a lot on Sunday in the Bible because time is the very essence of our lives. It's important to know how to tell time properly. And for King Solomon, as we continue in the book of Ecclesiastes, as he muses on the meaning of life, this is his next focus, reflecting on the significance of time. Solomon sees the injustices of the world as well as the contradictions inherent in life. We've been been immersed in those observations. He sees all of this under the sun and he wonders if it's all just absurd, meaningless. Nonetheless, he presses on. So many of you have said, when are we out of this depressing book? (laughs) And it's not depressing. You really need to read it a little differently. Because again, as much as Solomon kind of calls things out, which I find rather refreshing, he asks questions, he points out contradictions, tensions that the Bible gives us permission to to wrestle with, but he never stops asking questions. He never just throws in the towel. He holds on to the faith of his youth, if tradition is right, and he wrote this later in life. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give in. He senses there's an answer, even though it's beyond his reach. And I think this morning you're going to find that that is nowhere more evident than in this third chapter of this book. So you have it by now. I invite you to hear from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon writes, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. 
God does it so that men will revere him. What is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we begin today with probably the most best-known passage from this book. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And Solomon then proceeds, if you keep those Bibles open, to give us 14 examples in pairs that cover every area of life. And what it's important to see right from the outset is Solomon is not prescribing what we should do with our lives. Solomon isn't writing here telling us to plan our calendars better, to organize our lives more efficiently, Solomon isn't saying, hey, you need to make time to tidy up and throw stuff out, or that we need to make time to laugh or take time to weep. Observing the time for such things is important, but that's not Solomon's point today. Solomon is not prescribing things. He's describing what happens to us in our lives. He's acknowledging that there is a perceivable order, an ebb and flow, if you will, to all the events that occur in the life of a person. Now, I, I sensed that as I was reading it, and for many of us, these, these verses in particular, why we remember them, why they were put to music as a hit song, is that initially they're very, very comforting. They're comforting verses to, to hear, to read. They're often, this passage is often requested at memorial services for that very reason. And it's true. Initially, when we read this, it seems very, very comforting, this back and forth that Solomon gives us. But I want to suggest that if we stop and really reflect on what Solomon describes here, the truth is most of us probably don't want everything on this list. Looking down the list for myself, I mean, I'll just speak for me, I tend to prefer one side of each pair more than the other. I mean, births are new, they're wonderful, they're exciting. But death, I'm not a fan. Uh, who doesn't like healing? I mean, who doesn't like healing? I'll take more of that any day. But killing, not so much. And love and peace. Love and peace, man, sign me up for both anytime. But hatred and war, I'll pass. I'll pass. And this is Solomon's point. Covering pretty much everything that happens in life in this world, from birth to death, from war to peace, Solomon is reinforcing how we don't get much say in terms of what we get from this list. Solomon, in other words, is describing what happens in life regardless of what we do. In other words, Solomon is putting again in front of us once more, which is probably why most of us find this book depressing, Something we don't like to hear, we don't want to think about. That much of our lives, much of what happens in this world is beyond our control. And we don't want to hear this. We don't like to think about it because we tend to think of ourselves as setting the course of our lives, right? A person makes their own destiny, we like to say. And we, we like to believe it's true. I will go there and do this tomorrow. I'll, yes, I know, I'll deal with that another time. I'm going to work hard for the first 30 years and then retire when I'm 50 and take the rest of life easy. I know, I know, I'll tell her I'm sorry. I, I, I know, I know, I'll tell him I love him 
later. I'll figure what I, what I believe. You know what? I, I believe in Jesus, but I'll actually make time to follow him when I'm less busy. You know what? I'm going to get really committed to Christ when I'm older. We speak. We plan. We manage our lives as if we are somehow in control of the twists and turns. As if we have plenty of time. As if we know there will be a later. Another day. A tomorrow. But Solomon, as he outlines all these things that happen to us and around us, he splashes again a little cold water on our faces. We are not the masters of our fates. We are not the captains of our souls. There is a time to live and a time to die. There was a time that we were born and there will also be a time that we will die. We have no say about when we arrive in this world and in the natural course of things, we cannot choose the time and manner of our departure. And the set events of birth and death, they're not ours to manage. But again, if you're paying attention, Solomon's saying neither is pretty much everything in between these bookends of life. We cannot choose the occasions of joy in our lives. The circumstances that are filled, where we are filled with love, we can't choose them. We can only recognize them and occupy them. And how many times have we found ourselves brought into circumstances where we see or experience things we wish we hadn't? Sorrow will often catch us unawares, unbidden, and unannounced in its arrival. Grief in our lives refuses to be ignored. It has this habit of expressing itself when we are least ready and yet most needed. We can promote wellness, and we should. We can promote wellness, healing, the mending of garments, as Solomon expresses it here. We can promote healing, but when we actually start to get better from whatever was afflicting us, the when... None of us can orchestrate that time. Things get lost, and we have to look to find them. Things wear out, and we have to purge them, as Solomon writes about. But often the timing of such things isn't in our hands. We don't schedule to lose something and then spend a half an hour turning our house upside down to find it. We don't plan to wear out our socks or our shoes, but the next thing you know, you find a hole in one of them where you have a broken heel, it happens, and so it goes, but it's not up to us. All of life is encompassed here in these verses. All of our emotions are included. Solomon lays it out for us, the whole sweep of human existence, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the creative and the destructive, so that we can see in one grand flourish that we have, while we have some control over our lives, it is less than we suppose and far less than we want. Solomon, again, for those of you who are like, man, dude, see, depressing. Solomon is not trying to be fatalistic here. He isn't lamenting the tyranny of time. It's not as if Solomon writes these words and wants us to throw up our hands and say, well, it doesn't matter what we do. I don't know if you caught this, and if your Bibles are still open, this is worth noting. This is one of the sections, the few sections in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon doesn't declare something to be meaningless. Time is meaningful for Solomon. Timing is everything. The key here is having the right perspective to recognize who is keeping time 
Who is the one who tells us what time it is? I have seen the burden God has laid on the hearts of men, Solomon writes. And he means that whole business of the ups and downs, the fluctuations of experience we have. And yes, the bad news is life is full of lots of things we like and some things we don't, but none of which is really within our human control. That's the bad news. But the good news is life isn't random. It's not all left up to chance. The good news, the gospel, the impulses of which we find right here in Ecclesiastes is God is in control even if we are not. All the experiences Solomon has listed previously, the events of our life, we may not have command over, but our Father does. Our Creator is the Lord of time, and as such, Solomon declares he has made everything beautiful in its time. Did you hear that? Are you looking at that in your Bible? Do you notice? Did you catch it? Solomon doesn't write, God will make everything beautiful in its time. As if the Lord just sits wringing his hands, wondering what is going on, and then reacts to what we do. No, Solomon writes, God has made everything beautiful in its time. From our perspective, from our vantage point, life is unpredictable. And therefore, life has its share of pain. Some of us live, if we're honest, some of us live as if God has forgotten what he's doing whenever trouble comes our way. Too often after some tragedy or disaster, we hear people saying something like, God had nothing to do with this. God wasn't involved in what happened. And this might seem comforting and reassuring advice at the time. In truth, it actually reduces God into less than God is. It makes God into a weak, ineffective deity who wants good stuff to happen, but is powerless to make good happen. But you'll notice here that Solomon's God is much more robust than that. He writes, the Lord has made everything, everything beautiful in its time. God, Solomon writes, sees the end from the beginning. For Solomon, tragedy and disaster doesn't mean the Lord is absent. For Solomon, God is sovereign over the bad times as well as the good ones. Which, of course, leads to the obvious question. If God is in control, if the universe isn't just a random, a series of random and unfortunate events, then why? Why? Is life so hard and cruel? Why is life so hard and cruel? Beloved, again, pay attention to what Solomon writes. We need to do that together because in declaring he has made everything beautiful in its time, Solomon is not arguing everything is beautiful in itself, but in its time. Bad things do happen to good people. Christian and non-Christian alike. The world isn't the way God designed it to be. The world is full of natural disaster and sickness and all kinds of other trouble and chaos. And the world is full of these things, sorry, because we're here. The whole physical universe, the Bible declares over and over again, the whole physical universe suffers because of our sin. And 
in understanding, continuing to understand the problem in order to appreciate the solution, in, the li- in light of Ecclesiastes 3, one helpful way to think about the problem of sin is in terms of how we tell time. Once again, as I mentioned, we think we rule our lives. We manage the game clock. And so we shake our tiny fist first at our creator and then at each other and say, how dare you tell me how to live my life? I'm in charge of myself. I'm the author of my own destiny. And yet once again, there are all sorts of events that come into our lives regardless of any choices we make or others make. It's God's choice, not just our choice, that shapes the times of our lives. We call this providence, and providence cannot be predicted or resisted. God's providence can only be admired or struggled against. And as long as we think we have the right to run our own lives, as long as we think we have the right to run our own lives, we will race against time as we struggle to beat our biological clock. And that independence comes at a price. In putting ourselves before God, we put ourselves ahead of others. And people suffer. Sickness spreads. Disaster happens. The world isn't the way God designed it to be. But Solomon also declares, this world isn't all there is. Solomon tells us God has also set eternity in the human heart. We're fixated, you see, you and I, and I'm no different, we're fixated on the solution to our temporary problems. But our Father is in the process of saving and transforming the world. Just because God doesn't act when and how we want doesn't mean the Lord is helpless to change our world or isn't working and on the move. Solomon, in other words, what he's doing is pointing to a bigger picture for us, a different timetable, if you will. And instinctively, when he says God has put eternity in our hearts, he's tapping into something that instinctively we know there is more. We know there is more. Someone dies. Someone dies, and we know they've gone, but somehow we feel that they still exist. There is something in us that knows that there is more to life than this. We find ourselves asking questions of life almost despite ourselves at times that are larger than we are. We see a great evil done and the perpetrator gets away with it and instinctively we feel that isn't fair. There has to be some form of justice. And these impulses, these questions Solomon is telling us are not random, they're not just a fond yearning. We instinctively want to know why, because the Lord has set eternity in our hearts. Our God is a rational God. The Lord has made us in his image, and because of that, we know there has to be a reason for everything. Things just don't happen at random. So the very act of wanting to know why is a God-given instinct. But if you have those Bibles open or you were listening carefully, you'll also catch that Solomon tells us as well, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What he's saying is, although there is a reason for everything, and although we instinctively know that, 
we can't fully grasp the big picture. We're unable to appreciate or imagine the fullness and the depth of the transformation our Father is working in and through us and the world. So what do we do with this? What do we do with the knowledge the events of our life are beyond our control, that we want answers we don't have, and we won't be able to figure it out this side of eternity? How then should we live? Solomon offers us two applications today. Honor God with your life and enjoy every day as a gift of God. Honor God with your life and enjoy every day as a gift of God. Honor God with your life first. Honor God. Many of us feel frustrated. We believe God instills in us a desperate thirst for the reasons why, but the Lord only ever gives us glimpses of the answers. Now why would God do that? Solomon suggests the whole point of the ups and downs of life is to open our eyes to see we aren't as autonomous and independent as we thought we were. At the same time, Solomon also stresses the Lord has given us this instinctive reaction where we know there is more to life than this. And what Solomon is arguing, bringing these two strands of thought together, Solomon is arguing the reason God does this, puts these things in tension within us, is so that people will fear him. Revere him. In other words, the law, the Lord, in bringing these two things, these te this tension in our lives is causing us to look beyond ourselves. And this lines up with everything that we find in Scripture. Because the, the whole witness of Scripture, if you were to boil it down, is that we engage a God whose whole purpose is to bring men and women into right relationship with him. Our Father's greatest aim is that we get to know him. Our Father wants to set us off on a search, but he wants to set us off on a search not just for the answers, but for the answerer. And you know, that's how it works in life. If we don't have the answer to something, if we don't have the answer to something, we try, to, we set out to look for someone who does. And all the questions we ask find their answer in God. And on this side of Ecclesiastes, we declare they find their answer in Jesus Christ. Paul once put it this way in a letter he wrote to the Galatians. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to bring us back to God. And Jesus accomplished this by showing us that the problem isn't that the world is puzzling and we need to fix it. That's what we think the problem is, right? The world is messed up and we need to fix it. But Jesus came and revealed to us that's not the problem. The problem is not that the world is puzzling and we need to fix it. The problem is we are broken and we can't fix what's wrong with us. Jesus didn't just reveal this to us. Jesus, as we declare, we testify what brings us together. Jesus became the solution to all of our problems by taking the blame, the abuse, the consequences of all of our self-rule upon himself and opening a pathway we couldn't find. We couldn't climb through on our own. The window into eternity. At Jesus' resurrection, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, the moment of Jesus' resurrection, time entered eternity. 
at the moment of Jesus' resurrection, time as we know it, entered eternity. Man became immortal with the life of God. Now, if you think I'm just going crazy here, like, okay, you're just going way in the stratosphere, these aren't my words. Once again, these are Paul's. Paul once expressed it like this to Timothy. Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Beloved, the message of the cross and the resurrection points to a God who creates everything beautiful in its time. It points to the reality. Think about the events of the cross. Think about Good Friday. It points that every moment in our lives, even when we do destructive things to ourselves that we should not do to ourselves and not do to each other, even those events, every event, the Lord can redeem and weave into his tapestry of salvation. Beloved, we are called by Solomon to honor God, and we honor God by trusting God. God didn't come to us in Jesus Christ in order to satisfy our curiosity. The Lord comes to us in Jesus Christ to satisfy our deepest longings. God in Christ dies for us, conquers death on our behalf to assure us we are not alone. We are not forsaken. And we have a destiny to fulfill. Becoming a follower of Jesus isn't about getting an answer book to all of our questions. We don't have a relationship with Christ to have some, some, some sort of inside track on everything we want to know. Becoming a follower of Jesus is trusting Christ. Trusting Christ by relating to others like Jesus. In faith rather than by fear. It is perceiving the world like Jesus. Out of hope rather than in futility. It is knowing that Jesus loves you and therefore you can trust him with your life and you can trust that nothing will separate you. Nothing can or will separate you from his love. Are we honoring God in this way? Do we trust God in this way? Again, I, for speaking again for myself, I know I can remember all the unanswered prayers. I could tell you right now all the unanswered prayers and, and uh, you know, in light of what Solomon writes, maybe it's the prayers that weren't answered in my timing. And I got questions. I got a list of them. God's got some things to, to answer to me when I get up there. Do you got your questions? Right, we all have our questions, right? I mean, we can all list our frustrations. I got frustrations. Are you frustrated? Are there things that you're gonna tell God, you know, if I was running the universe, this is how I would do it. We all, you know, we can list them. The unanswered prayers, the questions we have, the frustrations we feel. But do we, with the same intensity, with the same focus, with the same mindfulness, do we stop and count the blessings? Do we stop and count the blessings? And even more than that, that's just baseline. Do we, as Solomon is trying to provoke in us, make a conscious effort to pay attention to see, to notice the glimpses that God offers us of the glorious tapestry he is weaving in the midst of a fallen world. Do you look? Do you see? Let me give you, a, for me, a, a corporate example that may not apply to you, but I think it applies across the board of, again, this shift in focus. Last weekend, a lot of things happened in this country, as many of us know. 
And what was interesting to me upon reflection is that in the Christian community, the primary thing that we responded to and reacted to, that was, I mean, by far, percentage-wise, was the, 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 what happened in the Supreme Court. And re- wherever you fall on that, there was all kinds of conversation, all kinds of reaction about what happened in the Supreme Court. That was our focus. And, we- and, and on both sides, and I'm, I'm, whether you're celebrating it or whether you're lamenting it, it was the same thing. We, had to, we did what needed to get done. We did what we shouldn't have done. Control. But what happened the very same day that I heard very little about in the Christian community, didn't see it on Facebook, didn't hear about it in conversations, a lot of people didn't bring up, and you may be thinking of it now, you may not even know what I'm talking about, but it happened on the very same day the memorial service was held in Charleston, South Carolina for the church where a person out of hatred, out of prejudice, Seeking to start, as we were told, a race war came in and gunned down people in the act of worship. The memorial service was held, and once again, brothers and sisters in Christ came and worshiped. They mourned and they celebrated and they practiced forgiveness before the world on the one who sought to violate their sanctuary, who took the lives of those they loved. And whatever you think of our president, at that service, in the midst of that moment, He broke out and everyone joined him in singing Amazing Grace and it was beautiful. But we weren't talking about that. We weren't pointing to that. We were jumping up and down or we were wringing our hands about something else. And I'm not saying that you have to pick. I'm just saying it's interesting. It says something about where we put our focus where we place our energy. Do we trust God? Beloved, we we don't just get on a big picture scale, I mean, nationally or globally. We get glimpses of the Lord's beautiful timing in our own lives. We do. That's how God works. We get glimpses of the Lord's beautiful timing in our own lives. And, And here's the thing. It's often when something has happened to us that we didn't expect, something that was unexpected, something that was even hard, Hard in the moment, and yet God used it for good. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you had those experiences where God has done something and in the thick of it you're like, God, what are you doing? This is crazy. Are you out of your mind? You are not being faithful. This is not what you promised. And you struggle through it, and God brings you through it and brings you through it in a way where there's things you never would have imagined or expected that came out of it. And in the tapestry of your life, you look back, and on the one hand, you know what I'm talking about? You wouldn't want to go through it again but you can't imagine editing that out of your life. You can't imagine taking that out. Beloved, God gives us glimpses. And looking back, in hindsight, we can see it as an inseparable part of a bigger picture. Honoring God is trusting God by remembering those momentary glances and allowing them to breathe hope into us when the hard times come again. It's grabbing hold of those moments, those glances, and allowing allowing them to offer us confidence and security when the storms of life batter us down. This is how we honor God, by trusting God. And beloved, trust isn't an emotion. Trust is an action. We put our trust in the Lord. 
which means we put our lives in his hands. Jesus, echoing Solomon's first application point, put it much more simplistically, but no less profoundly when he said, why do you worry about your life? Why do you worry about what you eat or what you will wear? Why? And he began to talk about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, and he said, look, if creatures and, and, and creation like this God takes care of, do you not think, do you not trust he will not do the same, if not more, for you. And in that, that moment when Jesus says that, it, it links so beautifully to the second part of what Solomon wants us to take away today. We honor God by trusting God, and we trust God by enjoying life. Relishing each day we are given as a gift from God. Once we accept that God is sovereign and we are limited, once we acknowledge the Lord has a bigger picture in view, once we realize his plans are to give us a hope and a future and they're revealed in Jesus, and once we begin to trust the Lord through a relationship by faith with Christ, we are able to take each day as it comes. Trusting God leads to enjoying the life you have rather than the life you're chasing after. We're striving for. Solomon tells us, he repeats something he said earlier, to take pleasure in our work and the fruit of our labors. Enjoying life is resting in the Lord's providence rather than resisting God's timing. Enjoying life means instead of resenting or rebelling against God's rule of things, we rejoice that our times are in his hands. Practically, enjoying life means beginning each day with confidence and ending every day with contentment, regardless of the tensions of the times that come our way. Can you say that? Do you begin each day with confidence? Do you end every day with contentment? Because you know, you trust that God makes everything beautiful in its time. Now, I know for some of us, this is pushing. But what, I'm, what Solomon's pointing to, what I'm trying to express, this isn't walking around with some kind of inane grin on our face. Life's great. Yeah, I'm happy. Yes, it's great. No. Solomon is tapping into when he says, enjoy life, joy. And I know that the word happiness is used in our translation, but the essence of it is joy. And joy is so different than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is this deep, profound feeling that only God can give. This deep, profound feeling that God wants to give to us. And it's a feeling that sees the trials that we're going through ahead of us instead of ignoring them. Yet at the same time, delights in the hand of a gracious father behind them all. Only joy has that 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 tension. Solomon says God has made everything beautiful in its time, but please notice God never designed us to be satisfied with time. Time is an appetizer. It's not the main meal. Do you know that? Time is an appetizer. It's not the main meal. It was never meant to be. The moments that we have in time are meant to stimulate our appetite, Solomon says, for eternity. Beloved, if you keep trying to find your deepest satisfaction in earthly things, expecting them to do for you what God never intended for them to do, you will be terribly frustrated and frequently disappointed. 
And if when I asked you earlier, do you start each day with confidence and end every day with contentment, and you're like, no, that might be the reason why. Because you are continuing to look for earthly things, things within this time to provide you a satisfaction of fulfillment that they were never meant to do. But on the flip side, if we keep eternity in view, if we seek first the kingdom of God, we will really begin to savor the beauty of the various times in our life here and now. It's ironic, isn't it? The less we depend on here and now to meet our deepest hungers, the more we're able to enjoy here and now. To enjoy each day for what it is. A good gift of God, but not the ultimate gift. But a good gift nonetheless. Once we realize that this life isn't all there is, that the main feast is not in time but in eternity, we can relish the various seasons and experiences of life, even as we find ourselves wrestling with a growing hunger. That's the other dimension that Solomon is looking to, be, to have us see shaped in our lives, that on the one hand, we enjoy each day as a gift of God, and in the enjoyment of that, we allow God to continue to cultivate a hunger within us. And we know, as we've talked about, why that hunger is there, because God has put eternity in our hearts Jesus looks to satisfy that hunger he has given to us by revealing and encountering the kingdom of God here and now in and through us. Enjoying life as a gift of God is enjoying each day for what it is, for what it was meant to be. But enjoying life as a gift of God is also, instead of bouncing from one time to the next, it is allowing God to to enable us to begin to anticipate and enter into the divine appointments in our lives the sacred moments where the things of heaven intersect the things of earth. And I I can tell you this right now, you will miss the divine appointments if you think you are the manager of your calendar. Which is not to say not to plan anything, it's not to say to set your calendar, but if you are so fixated on your calendar, on your, how you keep time, you are liable to miss the divine appointments. That doesn't mean they're not happening because God's much bigger than that. But you might all of a sudden go, what was that? Or hear other people talking about something that you didn't see or experience that way. You didn't encounter. And here's the thing. What Solomon points to when he tells us to enjoy life as a gift of God, the day itself, but then the, that, that revelation of eternity before us, the kingdom of God here and now, such experiences happen in relationships. Relationships. I, I know I keep hitting this, but it's so important for us to hear. It happens in relationships. Solomon says on the one hand, there's nothing new under the sun. Solomon says history repeats itself. We know it's true. But here's the thing the Bible also says. The actions of each individual matter very much. Each generation has its time. Each generation has its work to do. We've got a variety of generations in this room. When I'm around members of, shall we call, the older generation, what was known as the greatest generation, there's a lot of lamenting because many who were in that generation have gone and they believe their generation is done. And I will say to you, if you're part of that generation, if you're still here, then your generation still exists and you're not done. You still have time, God-given time. And on the flip side, there are younger people I see in this room. 
Your parents may be telling you this. The world may be telling you this. It's not your time yet. It's not your time yet. God isn't saying that. Your time is now. The adults in your life, the world is operating on this, under this false idea that they know how much time you have. They have no idea. Your time is now. Rise up. And it's not just a generation. Each of us, God has given each of us our own time. And some of us, for whatever reason, lots of failure in our lives, age, we believe we're on the other side of the hill. We're over the hill, as we like to say. And again, I say to you as an individual, if you're here today, if you can check and you have a pulse, if you're breathing, it's still your time. Now is our time. Because it's the time that God has given us. Let us not neglect our usefulness. God's calling upon our lives. Because here's the last part of this passage, which I don't want us to miss. Because God is in charge. The Lord is the one who makes the final evaluation of everything. And Solomon ends verse 15 by telling us something that we could breeze by. He says, whatever is has already been and whatever will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. God will call the past to account. The true meaning of history, of our lives, of our relationships, of our experiences, is what God makes of it in light of the eternal. In light of the eternal. Beloved, we have time on our hands, but eternity in our hearts. Time on our hands, but eternity in our hearts. On this side of life, we don't have forever. We get a very limited period of time, so let us make the most of it. Let us turn off the TV and get off of our phones. Stop complaining. Stop worrying. Stop wasting time. Start living. Start trusting God. Start seeing the bigger picture. Life is not all haphazard and random. Every event has a purpose and a place. Every experience can be redeemed and weaved into the fabric of eternity, the tapestry of our salvation in Christ. Timing is everything. Timing is critical. Our timing isn't always right, but God's timing is beautiful. Every moment counts. Every day is sacred because Jesus is unceasingly at work for in and through us. Therefore, let us see every day as a gift from God. Let us honor God by trusting him, gratefully receiving everything the Lord has given us and enjoying it and offering it back to him through our grateful service toward each other. If we do this, if we see, if we live this way, then as Jesus once said to many a person in the Gospels, we will not be far from the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Amen.